0: Welcome, everyone. Lee Henson-Hasty here on Leading Theologically. I'm the Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development uh, for the Presbyterian Foundation. That's a ministry of the Committee on Theological Education uh, uh, that uh, celebrates uh, theological schools, especially Presbyterian ones like Columbia Seminary in Decatur, Georgia, uh, in the greater Atlanta area where William Wu serves um, as Assistant Professor um there thanks for being here with me today uh, uh, assistant professor of religious american religious history yes thanks for being here William
1: oh thank you for the invite it's good to be here with you
0: thanks William's got his Colin Kaepernick pen um friends I've been uh, we're gonna have to figure out where we can buy some more of those uh, and it looks like you may even be in your office or home office is that have right? in my
1: seminary office that's yes. nice
0: well Thanks for being there and what you do. Um, uh, William is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, Westminster Theological Seminary, is MDiv, um, and Emory University, um, also there in Atlanta, uh, his THM and PhD. Um, He's written about transnational histories of American Protestant world missions in Korea and Korean American immigrant religious communities, as well as histories uh, of Presbyterianism and Protestantism. Um, And and so we're so much we can say about him. We're going to put a link to his bio. Um, I may even post uh, my own bio. (laughs) Now I've got I've got some extra information. And we're here because of his most recent book published by Westminster John Knox Press. I'm confirming in 2022. If you don't have a copy, now is the time. What kind of Christianity, a history of slavery and anti-black racism in the Presbyterian church? Um, beautiful endorsements and blurbs. Kwok Qu- uh, Pilian, James Not, James Hudnutt, Bumler, former dean of Vanderbilt, uh, formerly of Columbia, too. Hillary Green from Davidson College, professor of African uh, Africana studies, Justo Gonzalez. Um, this is an this is an important work. Uh, Catherine Knott from Hanover College. Um, it debunks persistent myths. Hillary Green says. What kind of Christianity offers the necessary balm for institutional reconciliation and repair in the present? So this isn't just, uh, it gives me chills when I read that. Uh, and I'm glad to see you nodding and agreeing because this is work that has to be done, the historical work, so that we can work now and imagine a different kind of future. Um, so I'm just so grateful we're gonna be talking about the book. and um, But before we jump into all of that, um, I know my audience loves to hear about, and we'd love for you to let us know you're here in the chat. Um, but uh, loves to hear about what is giving you life, um, or you know, the book starts with a Katie Geneva Cannon quote. So I'll ask what what she rephrased from Alice Walker. What is the work your soul must have, William?
1: Oh, thank you, Lee. Uh, thank you for the generous uh, introduction.
0: Uh,
1: so. What is the work my soul must have? So I can share with you what the work my soul earnestly desired in the research and writing of what kind of Christianity. So it was in brief, I had finished my revised dissertation on, you mentioned it, the transnational histories of American Protestant mission workers in the Korean Peninsula, and early Korean American immigration, which included many Presbyterians, not all, but many. Mm. And so it is finishing that work and figuring out what's next. Mm. And so for me, I think as an historian, my soul yearns for origin stories. Mm. Where did I come from? How did I get here? So in that revised dissertation first book, it really was looking at my Korean American Protestant, uh, first as a Methodist and then as a Presbyterian identity. Mm. How did it all come about? So then the next question I had was, What does it mean for me to be a Presbyterian? Mm. How did I get here? I am not only teaching at a PCUSA seminary, but I am a minister member of Cherokee Presbytery. Shout out to Cherokee Presbytery. And (laughs) uh, I acknowledge that I belong to an imperfect denomination, but nonetheless, it is the church, capital C, Lee, for you too, probably for me, where I believe is most closely aligned to how I might participate in God's love, justice, grace, and righteousness. Mm. So I wanted to get at the challenges around racism in mm. not only our denomination, but the larger Presbyterian and Reformed traditions. Mm-hmm. So then that's how I got to work.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad because this is work that uh, all Presbyterians certainly can benefit from. No, just uh, although I've not made it through the entire book, what I've read, I'm just, uh, I, frankly, I'm overwhelmed in a good way, um, it, in a painful way, but also a good way. And it does help explain things because there's, there's things like the, the how do we get it here? That, how do we get here is a question I wish when uh, journal Assemblies and Presbyteries and Sessions met, you know, making decisions. That's something they thought about or thought about it ahead of time in terms of sort of your own discipleship and faith journey um yeah how do we get here that's that's really really important and this and the book really does help along those ways um friends i gotta i I mentioned the katie geneva canon quote the book starts with her name she's uh the first african-american woman uh, ordained by the presbyterian church um by catawba presbytery i had uh, a guest last week ed newberry talking about catawba presbytery yeah right just just north of cherokee but uh Probably encouraged, in, included some of in Cherokee when it was when it existed, uh, uh, an all-black uh, governing body. A womanist theologian, first black uh, American woman to be ordained, 1974. She asked, and this is where the title of the book comes from, y'all. Where was the church and Christian believers when black women and black men, black boys and black girls were being raped, sexually abused, lynched, assassinated, castrated, and physically oppressed? okay now that's a question what then then comes the question that's the book title what kind of christianity allowed white christians to deny basic human rights and simple dignity to blacks these same rights which have been given to others without question wow how did you stumble upon that quote because it comes from a not mainline journal i think uh, That's wh- right.
1: Um, <laughs> no, it. I've read it, and it really helped um orient me. Uh-huh. At one level, Lee, it is a disorienting yes uh, question and statement, and it's powerful because it is. It can be interpreted as ironic or paradoxical, right? Because really, uh, so I think. Three things, Lee. One is, I think, in trying to answer that question, one answer that I have encountered, not only in uh, congregations, but also in seminary classrooms and in right. textbooks that are, have been assigned to me, is that Christians were not responsible
0: oh, my. for those
1: atrocities. Christians wow. were the ones who were fighting it. Mm-hmm. Do you know of William Wilberforce? And do you know what he did to mm-hmm. abolish the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade? Do you know William Lloyd Garrison, the mm-hmm. great abolitionist and founder of the Liberator newspaper? Right. And so these, this is what Christians were doing. Mm-hmm. And Lee, you're kind of shaking your head. And, I, oh, I love it. Listen, yeah, so, and,
0: and Frederick and, and Frederick Douglass. Yes. That was- <laughs> so,
1: but the reality is some, and some might be generously, a few Christians were, in fact, like Frederick Douglass, like Mm -hmm. Theodore S Wright, the first African-American graduate of Princeton Seminary, class of 1828, I believe. And -hmm. they were like William Lloyd Garrison. Um, But the reality is it was not many. So that answer is not not sufficient. Mm -hmm. So that I think the other more common answer, I don't wanna say that's the most common answer. Hopefully it's not, that Christians were not involved in the kinds of Christianity that participated in racism, racial violence, and slavery. But the other answer is it was the wrong kind of Christianity. It was mm-hmm. at one level, uh, wicked people who were abusing the name of, or or misusing the name of Christ, or it wa- was just white Christians, including Presbyterians. They just didn't know better. Mm-hmm. They adhere to literal interpretations of scripture. And they saw that, um, slavery was in their kind of worldview ordained of God or divinely permitted. Um, So that's the answer. So those are the two answers that I think I grew up
0: kind of those were the waters I was swimming
1: in. You too, Lee?
0: Oh, I heard it over, heard it over and over in various ways. Um, And yeah, I mean, the, you debunk that myth, (laughs) you know, especially white Christians and Presbyterians in particular, and you look at the statistics here in the book around, Slave owners uh, who are Presbyterian and Mainline, especially, but Presbyterians in particular, um, yeah, you debunk that myth that most Christian, particularly whites, were abolitionists. Just not true, right? I mean, I think that's a quote from your book. <laughs> Just not true. Mm. Um, and and I'm glad you also mentioned because that's when I heard I heard a lot is like if, or, or I think you say in the book, like if they really understood how to interpret the Bible you know, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, and I didn't mention, I learned uh, just before the call that you were an economics uh, major and in, in, in undergrad. So there was some economics here, right? Uh, that were that more than biblical interpretation as a motivator. Could you say some more about that?
1: Oh, I can try, Lee. There's a lot there. And I'm going <laughs> to ask you too, uh, because I know you do work that deals with both um, theological matters, and uh, fiscal matters. Mm -hmm. And that is a part and parcel of wanting to be faithful in Christian ministry today. Uh, So (sighs) abolitionists were critical um, of antebellum, uh, Mm -hmm. pre-Civil War capitalism, uh, Mm -hmm. because it was so rooted in slavery and in particular enslaved people, not only for um, exploited labor, but also for human property value. Mm -hmm. So this was the challenge with um, slavery and capitalism in the United States, Mm -hmm. uh, because enslaved persons uh, were not unlike in terms of Financially speakingly, they were not unlike other animals, lands, capital, right. even agricultural machinery, even right. the cotton gins that an enslaver owned, that they right. all had uh, capital value. And so an enslaved person, and you're right, I, I, I write about it in the book, that the value of an enslaved man or woman in the prime of their lives uh, was likely commensurate to an entire middle class income for a family in the United States in 1860, even right on the eve of the Civil War. So that was uh, their criticism. So it was a recognition that certainly slavery is difficult to abolish because it is foundational to the U.S. economy. Mm. But nonetheless, it is so wicked. It is so inhumane. It is so violent. It is so racist that we have to go against our economic self-interest and we have to figure out another way to thrive and flourish economically as a country right this was what was happening and this was what some Mm. white Presbyterians both explicitly implicitly or even not on paper rightly that was what they feared yeah so I write there in the book Lee and it sounds really odd that in my mind I really do believe many white northern Presbyterians I want to say particularly middle middle upper class upper class that they were simultaneously anti-slavery, right? Knew it was wrong, but also anti-abolition. Fear the consequences of a world without.
0: And sometimes they were slave owners. Even They that were way. before <laughs> it was
1: abolished. And again, uh, uh, a lot of us know in the northern states, it was gradual emancipation, that right. even though acts were passed in 1789, 1804, that generally they had a 20 year runway
0: well i'm i'm reading and you have a lot of numbers and it is hard to pinpoint but it's helpful i mean uh i'll quote this one 50 to 75,000 presbyterian enslavers in 1860 um and uh that's a lot when you think about you say only 2% of the population were slave owners i mean so um we we there's a lot of influence there you um uh, you mentioned people being on both sides, that one of the first stories you go into is one, um, and I love General Assemblies, <laughs> and I can tell stories of the ones more recently and the backstories, and, and you dig out some of the backstory in, in a couple of um, uh, these early assemblies. I think 1818, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, there was a statement, sort of an anti-slavery statement Um, that was made but not really um, any teeth to it so to speak and then you do a beautiful job of I think it's the 1836 uh, assembly in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania where there was a Princeton seminary professor Samuel Miller um, ecclesiastical history person apparently um, who had been a general assembly moderator I read um, who who chaired a a special committee, we love to do that, of five white ministers who brought back a recommendation that sort of is, let's not do anything. It's There's a lot of intense feelings. A 211 word, that's all, 211 word report. That's a short report on a big topic. And, and then a m- minority report and then delays. I mean, uh, I don't know if there's stuff in that story you didn't get to tell. Uh, oh, you Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, it sounds, um, I think, a few things. And I appreciate how you said you are a, a keen or an astute observer of more recent General Assembly meetings. Right, yeah, this is not new, this is
0: not new. Well, I think
1: it is the recognition. So one blessing and one, I think, positive um, mm-hmm. component of Presbyterian polity and how we govern ourselves is that it prescribes a plurality of elders that right. we discern together in communities and right. in committees, right. like the committee I write about in 1836 with Professor Samuel Miller. Um, so there is, that is, um, that is at the heart of what we do. Uh, mm-hmm. But also it is the recognition. Isn't it in the Scots confession, Lee, that all councils may err. And in fact, some have erred and it is (laughs) to recognize our depravity and our sinfulness. And I think what John Calvin calls, I'm going to use my nomenclature, like that our hearts are idol factories. We are drawn and we are prone to make idols. That's from the Mm -hmm. institutes. Right. Mm -hmm. So it is to recognize that the best parts of Presbyterian for some of us is that plurality is God discerning God's wisdom together, but it is the recognition rightly that sometimes we have our own interests and it is hard to divest ourselves of those interests and it is hard to honestly and boldly pursue god's justice
0: right uh honestly and boldly i mean that just to i don't want to it's only the first few pages so i'm not spoiling too much but i don't know, think people will be surprised to hear it was a sort of pray and wait sort of thing that happened there. And I love, then you later tell the story of Angelina Grimke, who I learned about in seminary, I'm glad to say, uh, former Presbyterian, and she stopped being Presbyterian when she went to the session to say, no, we need to pray and work <laughs> for this kind of justice and freedom, and um, I think that kind of boldness, I mean, amplifying those, those stories are, is also um, helpful in, in the book. You talk about another the myth about Christians, uh, most white Christians being abolitionist. Uh, that's faulty. You talk about biblical interpretation as a, as a crutch that doesn't really help. You also talk about unity versus purity, and that's in this area. This is sort of the delay. Like let's not let's not upset too many apple carts uh, here. Could you say a little bit more about that? That's that's. I not can sure try. Bold. It it is not as bold as I think that you're. talking I can
1: about. try. Least certainly, it has roots even before 1836. The 1795 General Assembly, where I believe it was the Transylvania Presbyterian Kentucky, they were yeah. having some disagreements about the the rightness of slavery. In fact, the wrongness of slavery, and the General Assembly Council was to quote keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Mm. So it was not a pro or anti-slavery position, right. but it was a pro-ecclesial unity position. Mm-hmm. And that's the foundation. And then you all can figure out how to agree to disagree or how to debate and live mm. together about some of you who are abolitionists and some of you who are uh, enablers or of slavery or in fact, enslavers yourselves. So I do think... Um, that is a that is a challenging impulse Mm -hmm. in our presbyterian life together then Mm -hmm. and now and in the future that it is right for us to seek to keep the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace that we want to be in fellowship and in communion and we want to honor diversity Mm -hmm. not only in terms of um age and ability and ethnicity and race and gender identity and sexuality, but also in difference of perspective or opinion or theological identity. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's called, but then sometimes rightly, and I think you're getting to it in the question. I'm going to ask you too. Sometimes (laughs) the purity of the church Mm. requires disunity.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I, I agree. I mean, um, there are, there are times when we're just, we're just going to dis we're going to disagree and we're, and it's, I believe it's in the DNA. I want, I want it to be in the DNA of the Presbyterian church. I mean, it's why we would have, uh, we don't have bishops, but we have councils. Um, because yeah, I mean, um, it, 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 it we we've got to work we've sometimes you got to work against the grain we're not god right that's clear so discerning the will of christ and where god is leading us um that that takes some really bold work i mean the the gospel is not is there's there's a countercultural quality to it no matter what you think you know and there's always things we we have to learn and i think i'm thinking i'm going to have raj Nadella. i'll go ahead and mention that he's going to be on the show and um in May and, uh, work, the work he's doing, um, on the Bible and postcolonialism. I mean, that's, that's really kind of helpful work that, that helps us get there. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I mean, I, I was, it made me think of the peace, unity and purity committee, which are real famous around the issues around ordination of, um, uh, particularly persons of different sexual orientations. I mean, they, they they eventually had to to push against the grain, you know, oh, so yeah. I, I, I think it's helpful. I see that I want to acknowledge Pat Jones from Charleston, South Carolina. You mentioned Charleston a couple of times uh, in what I've read so far, uh, William. I don't know if uh, you have stories from Charleston. I feel like there was, I, I, I wanted did, to ask you, there was you a- You did dirt- well
1: with the, the Grimke family. Oh, okay.
0: What church was that? What church was that? I don't know
1: what Presbyterian congregation. Okay.
0: They have, I mean, obviously have, I mean, I'm thinking of first Scots and second, and there's other older congregations uh, in that area. You also mentioned, and you don't shy away from this theological schools. I think I've, I've heard um, both Columbia and Princeton, I suspect union. I know, I know with Dabney and others, there's (laughs) union and, and theological schools were, were involved. Mm-hmm. Um, in this as well. Um, do you want to say something about that? Oh, <laughs> certainly.
1: Yes, Lee. I think um, to your earlier question, I, in talking about unity, I think um, one way for it that's helpful for me that really tries to get at the nuance and complexity, but mm-hmm. in a way that where there's clarity, is I think for me as a Presbyterian, unity should be a priority, but not the priority.
0: priority. Mm -hmm.
1: And I get that that's complicated, quite frankly, and you know more about this than me, than me, Lee, in part because of our polity around, I think it's in G4, that church Mm. property is held in trust,
0: in trust.
1: So that does make unity more than a priority on many occasions Mm -hmm. when the property of a congregation belongs to a presbytery synod or general assembly true that's where um but nonetheless i do believe that that is a wrinkle but nonetheless it doesn't mean that unity should be the priority Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. not that is certainly important for the gospel but it is not the only thing yes we need to be one lord one faith one baptism but we need to also Uh, defend the oppressed
0: and justly
1: um, seek uh, God's kingdom here on earth. And I think seminaries play a part in that, Lee. Mm I think seminaries then really did, in my historical judgment, and I'm not going to, um, I I think it's clear that seminaries such as Columbia and Princeton and Union in uh, Richmond that they really failed Uh -uh. to exhibit, not just even moral courage, but even more morality period. Mm -hmm. I think the ways in which they trained ministers uh, to exegete the scriptures in ways that supported the perpetuation of slavery Mm -hmm. and black inferiority and white superiority were not only detrimental, but exceedingly harmful. Mm -hmm. both for black and white Americans. Mm -hmm. For black Americans, it was harmful because these defenses, biblical defenses were used to preserve and protect and wanting to continue to defend slavery. For white Americans, it was harmful because it, and I talk about in the book, some abolitionists really were furious at theological seminaries because they provided the sanctity of religion Mm -hmm. to justify these horrendous sins. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think seminaries ought to be held um, accountable, not only then, but also now. Mm -hmm. So many ask, what should Columbia Seminary, where you or I teach, what should we do now? Mm -hmm. Right. And and I think we are doing some things. We made a commitment, our board of trustees and president's council in June 2020, in the wake of all of the racial uprisings and protests after the deaths of several African-Americans, um, such as Armand Arbery in my state um, and George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and others, it um, to repair the breach.
0: Repair the breach.
1: Right, Lee? Yeah. Uh, but I do think
0: mm-hmm.
1: repairing the breach needs to be backward looking in addition to forward looking. I do think seminaries such as mine need to be more attentive and act toward... Not only interpersonal relationships and not only spiritual mm-hmm. kind of healing and document right. statements, but material reparations.
0: Right. Well, and looking around the corner, I know Princeton has done uh, you know, an audit and they revised their curriculum. I think each school is doing different things and their presbyteries. I heard the story of a presbytery. Um, I mean, it's public because it's it's Presbytery Charlotte, where They've made a decision. Like when any gifts or property, large gifts, come in, a certain percentage of that actually gets paid out to um, current retired uh, African American, I believe, maybe other other ministers of color. Um, but uh, they're try- Every people are trying to figure out how to do this. But it starts, I think, with this historical work and knowing your story and origins. And can't believe our time is running out. I want to encourage everyone. You know, reach out, read the book, reach out to William. I think he's will, willing. He's. I know you've taught in some congregations and presbyteries. How's that been going?
1: Oh, it's a real delight. It's wonderful. Yeah.
0: yeah. What What are they? Um, wh- where are their sort of curiosities, and where does this lead them in our last few minutes?
1: Oh yeah, I think um, my colleague, uh, Dr. Brazavia Prelo, who is at 15th Street Presbyterian Church in Washington D.C. Yes, and um, teaching. At Howard Divinity oh, right, School. Right. I think um we did something together, and I thought she said the wisest thing. Like we need to know better and do better. So <laughs> right. I hope that my book is part of an effort to know yes. better. But ultimately, Lee, and I hate to end it on this note. Some of us in the peace USA were kind of satisfied with knowing better. Right. When we need to be doing better. People yeah. ask me, what other books can I read, William? And mm-hmm. my rejoinder is I, I hear five of the books for you, but what five things are you going to do now that yeah. you know better?
0: Right. Well, and keep that, that Angelina Grimke prayer, not just pray and wait, you know, but pray and work, do the work.
1: Or uh, pray and read.
0: <laughs> you know? Pray and read. Exactly. Um, and then do, do the work. So much more we could talk about. Thanks everyone for being here today. I'm so grateful for you. And um, uh, yeah, yeah, five things. Maybe, maybe it can be a resolve here during Lent. I mean, if you don't have new year's resolutions or a Lenten practice, read the book and start, um, start thinking about how you can do something about this, uh, today. And, um, I think it will be a real gift. Uh, friends will be back in just a couple of weeks, two weeks. Um, uh, our colleague Amy Moiseau with the Louisville Institute will be talking about she she's written about conflict in the church and particularly how to deal with this. I think that's a helpful tool, right? Um, when we're dealing with these things, um, looking forward to having Amy. Uh, this uh, show shows up on YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook, but also wherever you get your podcast. Leading Theologically, love for you to subscribe and review. Um, and share and, and get suggest uh, topics and, and, and guests uh, to come on, and we, we'd love to have you, um, but particularly grateful today for you, William. Would love for you to, to bless and send us, but before I do that, let me just say, thank you for looking back and helping tell the story of these origins so we can do the work today and to look forward. You are doing the work at at Columbia Seminary. You're doing the work for the church. You're doing the work for Cherokee Presbytery. You're doing the work for uh, the larger church. And I am truly grateful. And I know so, so many others are. Uh, Thanks for your wisdom, your inspiration um, and your challenge um, as well. Um, uh, And look forward to seeing you again sometime soon.
1: Hey, thanks Lee. So let me offer a brief prayer god we are called in your word to act justly to love Mm. mercy and to walk humbly with you O god and as we do so may we also strive and sometimes stumble but ultimately seek and pursue your justice your love and your righteousness in our congregations in our neighborhoods in our schools and in our world and we thank you in all this work you are the god who goes before us, who Mm. goes with us, and goes after us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Amen and amen. Thanks again, William and everyone. We look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Take good care.